my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. can be seated. I spent a lot of time these last couple of weeks um, reading about marriage and thinking about marriage, and I've come across some some really helpful things, some insights, some stories that have been helpful. And I would share with you here a couple of the, my favorite things that I've come across the last couple of weeks. Um, this one I like because it particularly hits home uh, for me. And if those of you who are married or have been married, I wonder if it hits host close to you. Yes? Did somebody say something? Yes. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought somebody said Ben. I'm sorry. All right. I'm going to go back. I heard I was distracted for a minute. So one of the things I really liked is this. Um, somebody said in this book called uh, Love That Lasts, if God were to give you a wedding present, it would have been a uh, it, it, it. He says, if, if God gave you a wedding present on your wedding day, it's called the full length mirror, your spouse, because uh, he said, if there had been a card attached to it, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. Because it's often in the context of our relationships that we learn who we, we really are and we discover our need for the grace of God and uh, our need to grow in love. And that's been true in, in my marriage especially. And then there's this other story, the seminary pastor who preached a sermon uh, one time and this eager young man came up to him and just was effusive in praise towards this seminary professor and said how great he was and actually called the professor a great man. And so uh, this professor is driving home. His name is uh, Howard Hendricks and Howard Hendricks driving home with his wife and he leans over and says to his wife, a great man. He called me a great man. How many great men do you know? And she said, one less than you think. I like that one too. <laughs> Marriage can be humbling. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's in the context of these relationships and you know, you don't have to be married to to know this that we God exposes our sin, our need for grace, our need to grow in love. But marriage of course is such an intense relationship that it's like the graduate school for this. In this passage of of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul exhorts husbands over and over again to love their wives. That is a central charge to husbands. And we talked last week how I do believe that God has ordered marriage and put the husband in a leadership role, in a role of responsibility in the context of marriage. But Paul then defines what that leadership looks like. And Jesus defined what leadership looks like. And that's why I had us read that passage from the Gospels where he redefines a position of authority as one of service. And he got on his knees and he wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' dirty feet. And he said, this is what leadership looks like. He knew that they were going to take over. You know, they, they were going to be responsible for expanding the kingdom of God. And so he said, I want you to know you're not to lead like people in the world lead, but you're to lead in loving service to others. I've given this example for you. So 
no matter where we're at as Christians in a leadership role, that is the model. Service for others. Loving others through service. And Paul draws on that as he, that theme um, as he admonishes Christian husbands in the relationship with their wives. Husbands, love your wives. And then he, he specifies what this love ought to be like. And uh, I've discerned kind of two themes here. One is the love ought to be sacrificial, sacrificial love. And then he talks about attentive love, paying very close attention to your wife so that you can cherish and nourish your wife. And so we'll look at that here, the sacrificial love and uh, the attentive love. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Gave himself up for her at the cross. This is cross-like sacrificial love. And this is a love that does not come natural to us or easy to us. That's why, as I said last week, we talked about what Paul is saying to women. This is all connected to what he said earlier in Ephesians 5 when he calls Christians to be filled with the Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds to give us these attitudes, these dispositions that we're to display towards one another in the body of Christ and in marriage. So this does not come easy this does not come natural, sacrificial love. It costs us our time, our comfort, our plans, and ultimately to give our life for the sake of the other person. And this goes against the flow of so much in our culture today and how people think about marriage. You know, there was a study done a while ago, I think in the 80s, by Robert Bella, who was a sociologist at the University of California. And he did this study, and he published a study called Habits of the Heart. And he was looking at uh, the changing mores and the changing views of Americans in the late 20th century. And he, he said something about marriage. He said, there's been a significant shift in the way Americans think about marriage. He said, today, Americans are beginning to think more along the lines of the therapeutic. And when it comes to marriage, um, it's being framed in terms of therapy or self-help. So the attitude is, I'm marrying this person because this person is going to help me achieve my goals, my growth, my fulfillment. And he said, of course, the problem with that is when the spouse is no longer fulfilling these areas in our life that we have targeted and said, we're hoping that they help us with this or they'll fulfill this in me. When the spouse is no longer fulfilling those areas in our life, then, well, we can just, you know, disengage, distance ourselves from the spouse or, or even move on. And Bella said that this obviously has weakened the institution of marriage in American culture, this mindset, framing it therapeutically. And it's also brought harm to children who need stability. The older model, he said, so there was a shift and the shift was away from an older model which used terms like commitment and obligation and sacrifice. And that was connected to the Christian story. The irony that we discover, and I know so many of you have discovered this in your life, is that when we sacrifice for another person, we do find great fulfillment. We do find Great satisfaction and sacrificing for the good of another person. Sacrifice is ennobling 
when we sacrifice for other people, we are living in harmony with the life that God intended us to live. We are reflecting in some degree the, the image of God that is in us, which has been perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ, and which he revealed clearly at the cross. So Paul says to husbands, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he displayed this love by giving himself up. Sacrificial love that we see at the cross. So I wonder for the husbands who are here, this season in your marriage, in your life, what does sacrifice for your spouse look like? We're called to do this in the big things and the little things. Each and every day. When I began studying this passage a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians 5, on marriage, um, <laughs> our dishwasher had been broken down for several weeks, maybe even a month at this time, I don't know, and my wife had kept asking me to do something about the dishwasher. And I had put it off and kept putting it off because I had important things to do, like study a passage about loving my wife <laughs> sacrificially. And I didn't want to do it. And that's the kind of stuff I hate to do. And now I have to go find the paperwork and I got to call the dishwasher company and see if it's still under warranty. And it's not that important to me because guess what? I don't do the dishes every night, but she does. So guess what the Lord convicted me of as I delved into this? And I had to literally get out of my office and call the, the company. And I'm happy to report that the dishwasher is fixed and it's as good as new. Uh, well, I, I do do that, Wayne, occasionally, but we won't get into that. Um, but she's been very happy, and, she, and I love hearing her say, I love this dishwasher now. It's a small thing, but that's where we live a lot of times. But then there are big things, you know. There are life-changing things, like major illness and big transitions. There's a story... Um, about Chris Spielman that I read in one of these books, who uh, is or was a professional football player. He played for the Bills. He played for the Lions. He was all pro. And his wife, I think her name was Stephanie, was diagnosed with breast cancer six years into their marriage. And um, in solidarity with his wife, he shaved his head as she was going through the treatments. But he also did something that caught a lot of people by surprise and that is he quit football for that first year as she was going through this and he said you know what I'm going to take care of the kids I'm going to make them breakfast I'm going to get into their lessons uh, I'm going to make sure you take your meds and I'm going to be with you right every step of the way and he said he said um, this is the defining moment for me as a man is to do these things for my wife she has done so much for us and our family. So I'm, I'm going to, to do this for her. Sacrifice. As I dug a little bit deeper into Chris Spielman's story, I wasn't surprised to find out he was a man of deep faith, of Christian conviction. So in the, in the big things, in the small things, this is what God calls us to as Christian husbands. So again, I wonder, men, what does that look like for you? Those of you who are married, what does that look like for you today? 
Paul says the reason why Christ loved the church sacrificially is that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, Christ gave his life for his people, for us, for the church to make her holy, to sanctify her so that she would be fit for an eternity with him. Husbands, we ought to love our wives in such a way as to lead to her growth spiritually, her sanctification. We want our wives to be able to say, I'm a better Christian because of what my husband has shown me. Sacrificial love is the key to that. And then Paul calls husbands to attentive love, a deeply attentive love. He says, love your wives as Christ or love your wives rather as yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church. This is a call to attentive love. And by the way, this this is material for a separate sermon, but notice the elevated view that Paul has of the church here and this beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. Christ values the church. We see how much Christ values the body of Christ, that he gave himself up for her, that he nourishes the church and cherishes the church. And that's that's important for us to recall. When we are disappointed or disillusioned with the church, we need to remember that Christ gave himself for this community. And Christ is still involved in nourishing the church. He cherishes the church. The depth of the commitment of Christ towards his church should call us to deep commitment to the body of Christ. Those who love Christ love what he loves. But Paul's point to, Christ, to, to, to husbands, to Christian husbands, is that we ought to have that kind of attentive love towards our spouse. We're pretty attentive when it comes to our bodies. He says, love, love, your, love your spouse like you love your own body. He says, that's an analogy that we need to think about, that we need to keep in mind. And we're very attentive to our own bodies, aren't we? We, we don't skip too many meals when we feel hunger. When we feel pain, we take some medicine or we go to the doctor. And so Paul says, I want you to have that kind of attentive love or attention towards your spouse that you do, you have for yourself. A love that nourishes and cherishes the spouse. So again, gentlemen, what does that look like in this season of your life? Those of you who are married, what does that attentive love look like? What this has meant for me is learning to listen to Josie and communicate with her and kind of slow down and stop and and listen and carve out time for communication. And that was hard for me to learn. I'm still learning it. But in our first year of marriage, it was very difficult. You guys remember some of you, your first years of marriage? Did you have some bumpy roads there? We sure did. And one one of the issues was learning to listen, slow down and communicate with my wife because I was in graduate school, I was working, she was working too, so I would come home from work or school and we would have dinner together and then off I would go to my room to do my studies, which I needed to do, but I didn't carve out much time for her at all. And things kind of came to a head one day where she said, this is really boring. I might go back and see my mom and dad. Well, when are you going to come home? I don't know. 
<laughs> she wasn't threatening to walk out on the marriage. She was just kind of giving me a wake-up call like, call, like, we need to pay attention here. We need to do something different here. I thought things were going on just fine. I was happy. We were still trying to figure out what Paul talks about here. When you first get married, one of your tasks is that the two become one flesh. The husband leaves, or the husband cleaves, and the wife leaves, the father and mother. And so we were trying to figure out this one flesh thing. And, and a key for, for me was, was learning to listen and, uh, and carve out time for communication. And we still, we still work on that. And we've gotten better at that. And, then, and Josie knows that there are seasons in my life where I have to be kind of hyper-focused and it's not a good time to sit down and talk. And we'll talk about this later, but I, I need to talk to you when you get time and when you're more focused. And I've learned to sometimes just sacrifice that and sit down and, and listen. But attentive love. This is what Paul is calling us to. I wonder, husbands, again, what ways the Lord might show you how to love more attentively and to nourish and cherish your wife. To love her as yourself. He says we're, we're one. So to love your wife is to love yourself. We are we are one. As I said earlier in this, well, I said last week that the big point that Paul is making here in this passage is that Christian marriage is a reflection. It's a parable. It ought to be something of a, of a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. It elevates marriage. And what we need in the, in the marriage relationship is the grace of God flowing through us towards one another. None of this comes easy. None of it is natural. It is a spirit-filled attitude that Paul is calling us towards to have. And it requires grace. And we can learn these things, these attitudes of sacrificial love and attentive love without being married. I mean, God has given us the body of Christ to work these things out. God has put single people in the body of Christ to learn these things. But those of us who are married at this season of our life, we're in this intense relationship. And God reveals these things. Our spouse is like a mirror. And some of this comes out. And He's pointing things in our life that He wants us to work on. And it's for our sanctification and for His glory. But we need the grace of God. Here's another image that I liked. Uh, somebody said marriage is like a tumbler. For gems, you put the gemstones together in this tumbler and they're brought into creative contact with each other and they they knock off the rough edges off of each other until each gem is beautiful and smooth. But there's a key. You have to have this compound, this special compound that goes into the tumbler. And if you don't have this compound, the stones just bounce off each other. To no effect or they split or shatter. And the analogy that this author uses is to say, God's grace is the compound when it comes to our relationships and to our marriage. And we need the grace of God. Without the power of grace, which we access through prayer and through worship and through meditating on the sacrificial love of Christ, without the power of grace, we can't love one another as God is calling us to love each other. And spouses will bounce off each other, distance themselves from one another. Or attack one another. 
that requires the grace of God. And so for those of us who are married this week, let's let's pray for the grace of God, that spiritual compound that we need in our relationships. Let's let God reveal through our spouses. The areas we need to work on, the ways that we need to grow in love. And all of us, let's understand that when it comes to relationship, Christ has set an example for us, this servant love. That glorifies God when we exercise servant love. And it gives us great satisfaction because we're living into the people God has made us to be. Amen. Lord, I do pray for those of us at Church of the Resurrection who are in this intense relationship called marriage. You are the designer of marriage. You have given marriage to be a wonderful picture. And God, we admit that we fall short. And so we need your forgiveness and we need your love and we need your grace and we need your help. And so, God, I pray for protection for marriages at Church of the Resurrection, for husbands and wives. And I pray for single people, Lord. And people who, no matter what station of life that we are in, that you would, by your grace, help us to grow to be the people you've called us to be. Thank you that, that the ultimate relationship is with you, Lord Jesus. And that you have placed all of us in the body of Christ to learn and to grow. By your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.